coming up on facts from the stacks, but it's cheese. It's just oh, cheese. Oh, yes. And you're yeah. like, duh, it's gluten-free. Yeah, exactly. Like, they're it's just got putting no, things on there. What do you mean? Yeah. Like, those really get me. Or yeah. keto, when things are like, oh, yeah. it's keto-friendly. It's keto, and it's like, yeah, because it's naturally it's like one of, of the food groups. Or like, it's a slab <laughs> of meat. Yeah, yeah, it's keto. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> Welcome to Facts from the Stacks, a news and trivia podcast for book nerds and library lovers. Facts from the Stacks, created by the staff at the Jackson Madison County Library, is your library news and book based trivia podcast. Join your hosts, Kelly and Shane, for what we're reading, what's happening in the library, and tons of trivia. We will have games and quizzes so you can follow along and test your knowledge, but also so we can stump other library staff. Welcome back, all you experimental enthusiasts and myth maniacs. We're here for another episode of Facts from the Stacks. Episode 20. Wow, we've made it to 20. Wow. Look at us. That's that's quite a few episodes. Yes. Wow. This episode is about uh, Dewey number 507, which is like general science research. Mm -hmm. It's where all the science experiment things are housed. Oh, yeah. So... Decided to take that angle. Let's get wild, y'all. Yeah, should be fun. <laughs> All right. As always, we will start with Recently Borrowed. Yes. So I feel like I'm going to be reading more thanks to my lovely Christmas present of a Kindle scribe. Never had a Kindle, so like reading digitally is new for me. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm really kind of liking it. I like that I can just change the text to whatever size I want. So you've started reading on it? Yeah, I did start reading on it. Um, I really like it. Excellent. It's been fun. I'm... A little ways into one of the books I'm going for, um, but I've got several downloaded and ready to go. Ready so to rock. We'll see. See if we can do like at least a good like book a month would be that. ideal. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. What about you? Um, I just finished Winter Garden by Kristen Hanna. Okay. As I've mentioned before, I'm working my way through Kristen Hanna. Slowly but surely. Mm-hmm. And this book was fantastic. Oh. It, I feel like her older books are kind of like slept on because, you know, her new ones are so popular. Fair. But this was like just as good as The Nightingale, I would venture to say, which is oh. like, I feel like her top book. Like her breakout. Yeah. Like that was really success. the one. Yeah. Yeah. So this is about these two daughters. And their mom, and their mom is, like, super distant, and they don't know why. And then their dad is, like, real loving, and he kind of holds everybody together. But then he passes away when they're adults. And so they kind of have to, like, figure out how to get to know one another. And then the mother is Russian. She's from Russia. Oh. And it turns out she was in Leningrad during the siege of Leningrad during World War II. Wow. And I had just never really heard about that whole historical event. Like, I yeah. feel like I've read a good amount of World War II historical fiction, but never from the perspective of Russia. And it was fascinating. Wow. Which, of course, it's a fiction book, but, like, I'm sure she what? researched it quite well. Yeah. She always does. She seems to do a lot of... 
and I don't know if this goes for all of her books, but it seems like she does a lot of like World War II set yeah. stuff. Like, because the Nightingale was. Yeah, that was World War II, like France. That's what I thought. And then she just does really interesting, at least to me, like under written about historical periods in general. Interesting. Because that other one I've talked about on the podcast before, Homefront, you know, that was about like veterans after 2001, you know, and what mm, they went through. That's right. And then um, uh, the book in Alaska is about like Alaska in the 1970s in the wilderness, you know, so like yeah. very niche historical times that that's we don't cool. always talk about. And it just was great. When I was out north last week mm-hmm. or earlier this week, I guess, um, Colleen was talking about how she came across a book that was labeled as historical fiction, mm. but it was set in the 80s. And she oh, was she like, shook. she was a little shook. Yeah. <laughs> she was that is like, an interesting question. Like, what defines historical fiction? Yeah. When do we start calling it historical fiction? She was like, it was 40 years ago. Yeah. Because for me, like, even Homefront, right, is set, I think, in 2001. 2001. Yeah. And, like, you know, I was alive during that time. But in my mind, historical fiction is like this book really centers around a historical event. Yeah, and I think that's So that's probably, why I think of it that way. Yeah, and I guess that's... More the, about theme than time. Right, because, like, if you read a book written in 2001, it's going to have, obviously, you know, parts that are modern day. Like, you're going mm-hmm. to see those things, but with it being centered around a specific event yeah. that happened, there's more focus on it, there's more... Yeah, I, I get what you mean. Yeah. Like, it's a little bit of a different vibe. Like, I totally see what she's saying because <clears> it's like, oh, that's, is that even history? But I think of it, again, more not about yeah. the year it happened, but, like, the what point event? of that book was the historical event. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's other books that are set in 2001 that are not about the Iraq War. You know, Current. like, they're yes. about life or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, was I lengthy, will... but it was good book. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> well, I will... Um, keep you apprised of how my reading experience on a Kindle goes. I can't wait to hear. Um, Yeah. Good stuff. But now we can get into our facts. Facts from the stacks. Facts. Facts from the stacks. We'll be right back. If you've been listening to us talk about the books we've been reading, but don't have the time to come in and check them out, there's a solution for you. The library has online resources so you can check out books without ever leaving home. With Libby and Hoopla, you can access thousands of books, audiobooks, movies, TV shows, and magazines, all in the palm of your hand. Check out the episode's description or check out the library's website, jmclibrary.org, for more information. Okay, so science experiments slash Mythbusters is how I took this. Okay. I really latched on to Mythbusters because when we were searching up the number, a lot of Mythbusters books fall under this Dewey number, and I was like, Mythbusters is fun. It's such an enjoyable show. (laughs) Yeah. Rest in peace, Grant Imahara. I saw that when I was researching. Yeah. I wasn't like an avid watcher, so I didn't know about all that, and that sucks. Yeah. He was was a good fella. Mm. Well, okay, I'll just start with my Mythbusters. Yeah. I'm starting to talk about that. So I found an article from Ranker.com, which I believe is like, you know, very user affected. So like people rank stuff or people put out a list of something and then you can, you know, 
input what you think if it needs to go up or down. Okay, so it's not like the people who run the website, it's users on yeah, the website. Yeah, like I okay. had the opportunity to like move stuff up and down if I wanted to, or like vote to move it. Yeah, So okay. it's very like public opinion. Okay. Okay, so this article was about the myths that we were saddest to see busted. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, they approached the myth on Mythbusters in an episode figured out that that was a myth and it wasn't a real thing and hashtag sad. Okay. Number one, the five second rule. Oh. I know, sad. Yeah. <laughs> very, very sad. Yeah. So the amount of time pieces of food spend on the ground have no basis on the amount of germs it picks up. I feel like I remember that episode. I know, I kind of do too. Did they conclude that it is very nasty either way? I think so. Like, it seems like... Once it's on the ground. That's fair. Because, yeah, this just said, you know, the amount of time it spends on the ground has no basis on the amount of germs it picks up. So to me, that means as soon as it touches the ground, it has it's the germs that it's going to have. That's kind of my thought. <laughs> yeah. No, that's fair. So that's number one. Number two and number three are both very Pirates of the Caribbean esque, which is okay. fun. <laughs> I'm trying to think of where this is going to go. So number two is... Is it a myth that pirates can slow a fall by using a knife to cut a sail as they fall down? I'm assuming no. (laughs) It's not. Yeah, you can't do that. And they said it's impossible for the pirate's knife to be at the perfect balance between dull and sharp to safely cut through a sail. Wow. So that's sad because that was a pretty baller move. Yeah. Yeah. That's. Look, we have to have some suspension of disbelief. Exactly. That's true. It's true. This one really broke my heart because this scene is iconic, if you ask me. Okay. Using a rowboat as a submarine. Oh, where they flip the boat (laughs) over. Yeah. (laughs) So if you haven't seen Pirates of the Caribbean, Caribbean, however you say that word. Uh Uh-huh. So Johnny Depp and Orlando Bloom flip over a rowboat and like walk on the bottom of the ocean. ocean. And because of theoretical science you know there's air between their heads and the top of the boat right so they have so they can an breathe. amount of oxygen to breathe right and um they found out on that episode that the human body is just too buoyant for that to work and i figured Which that, that makes sense i figured that the boat and the air in it too would also yeah, be a little too true. buoyant yeah like you could flip it and like swim. float along yeah, yeah. swim along but that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Sad, because again, a great scene. But like mm-hmm. you, to your point, it doesn't have to ruin the scene. Suspension you know? of disbelief. Exactly. Totally. Okay. And then the last one I wrote down was, um, and this was number four ranked, um, shooting at the hat off of a cowboy without harming him. Oh, okay. So I don't remember what movie it said it was from, but I can picture it in my mind. Like, yeah. A cowboy wearing a hat, you Same. shoot it and it only knocks the hat off his head. Yes. So you can't, there's not enough force to get the hat off the head with just a pistol. And if you used a shotgun, you would get the hat off the head, but you'd also destroy the man's head. The man underneath. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Whoa. So again, it's fine. It's fun in the movie, but don't try this at home. For real, for real. (laughs) Wow. There's, um, there's one myth. I wish I could remember exactly what it was. One of the ones I remember is, how often you should wash your blue jeans. Ooh, interesting. And it was like, if I wear my blue jeans 
X amount of days in a row, do they get nastier? Mm -hmm. And I think that the conclusion was like after, I can't remember for sure, but it was like after like three days or something, it stops getting grosser, basically. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that's like, <laughs> that's fun. there you go. If you can deal with three day old jeans. Yeah. Then... That's a, you know, a, a non heartbreaking. One. Yeah. I love yeah. That. It was just interesting. Yeah. Also, just nostalgically speaking, wasn't it the best day ever when you walked into class, you sat down and your teacher said, today we're going to watch an episode of Mythbusters. Oh, absolutely. Mm. And I love Adam Savage. So much. Yeah. Is that the guy with the beard? That's not the guy with the mustache. Oh, okay. The, the redhead guy. with the glasses. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah. Adam Savage. Mm. I love him. Good He's days. Great. Good times. Yeah. So yeah, those are the most heartbreaking busted myths. Wow. According to Ranker.com. Wow. <laughs> All right. Gracias. <clears throat> so I decided to look up a couple of like pretty common experiments and look at how they work, like why they do what they do. Interesting. Um, so the first one that I looked at is elephant toothpaste, which is probably one you've seen. There's usually a bottle and they pour something in and then this foam just like explodes upward out of the bottle or tube or whatever they're mixing it in. So what it actually is is a reaction between hydrogen peroxide and potassium iodide, which is yeast, like mm. in yeast, okay. um, and then warm water. So, like I said, it just makes a jet of foam, and it's kind of like a volcano. It's like an extreme baking soda vinegar volcano, okay, but extreme. Yeah, hence um, the elephant reference, <clears throat> right? Uh, kind of, yeah. Okay. So the idea is that it's foamy and it just, when it shoots out of a bottle, it looks like toothpaste that would be big enough for an elephant to use. Oh, I thought it was referring to like shooting out of an elephant's trunk. Uh-uh. No. Oh, that's no. fun. No, just, just toothpaste big enough for an I elephant to use. I love that. Never thought of that. That's yeah. my people. <laughs> so the process is pretty simple. You mix half a cup of hydrogen peroxide with liquid soap or dishwashing detergent and you just kind of swirl it around in a bottle and then you take some food coloring and you can mix that in too to color your foam Ooh, or you can like streak it up the sides of the bottle so Ooh. it'll come out looking like toothpaste oh, like with the stripes yeah. um, so then in a separate little cup or dish you mix a tablespoon of yeast with three tablespoons of warm water and you stir that up for 30 seconds and then you pour it into the soap mixture and back up um, <laughs> because sometimes it's a slow reaction but oftentimes it will just shoot straight up out of the bottle um, so don't like lean over <laughs> yeah good call <laughs> um but so what i what i wanted to look into is like what what causes that because it's you know we have these small amounts of liquids we've got a half a cup of hydrogen peroxide yeah why does that cause this huge amount of foam to be produced and so what i looked at was that the hydrogen peroxide breaks down into water and oxygen mm. Um, that process is usually slow, but when you add the yeast, that is a catalyst for that reaction and speeds it up. Hmm. So okay. instead of happening slowly, it happens very quickly. And then all of the oxygen that is produced um, when that hydrogen peroxide splits is 
um, sent into the soapy water, basically. Mm. And so that causes bubbles from the soapy water. Um, the reaction is exothermic, which means that it's a reaction that produces heat. And the foam is about 167 degrees Fahrenheit. Wow, I did not so expect it, gets, it to be so hot. It gets hot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Also, the higher the concentration of the hydrogen peroxide, the more foam is produced because there's more oxygen that can be split off from those okay. molecules. Um, so the example or the, the person who tried it with a higher concentration of hydrogen peroxide called it the devil's toothpaste <laughs> because it was a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that one's kind of a pretty common one that I was like, that's kind of interesting. It's like a step up from... The baking soda, vinegar, you know, that thing. The second one that I looked at was growing crystals. I'm sure you've seen the growing your crystals kits and stuff like that. Um, So you can do that um, with a few different items. But the one I looked at was using um, Epsom salt. And so you just get a glass jar and you put yourself a half a cup of salt And then you can add some food coloring, depending on what you want your crystals to be. Mm -hmm. And then you add a half a cup of very hot water and stir it for a minute. And then you shove that in the fridge. And as that cools, the salt that was in that mixture is going to settle back out of the mixture partially. Okay. But it's going to form larger crystals than the salt that you added in initially. Oh. Um, Because... Cooling the solution quickly causes a faster crystal formation, and they fall back into the patterns because of how their molecules fit together. Hmm. So basically, you're making bigger crystals by making the process happen quicker. Um, And then from that, you can take like a larger one of those crystals put it back in that same kind of solution and that one crystal will grow more because oh. more of them will be attracted to that one crystal. Um, you can do it with, there's different methods, but I know people can do it with sugar, which I think is usually a longer process, mm. but like that's how we get those um, like rock, rock candy. candy. Okay. So you can do rock candy. Salt does really well with it. And then some people use not borax there's another chemical there's another thing that's kind of like that that people use for it i've forgotten the name but um citric acid no i can't remember but you can basically twist up a pipe cleaner and then you can put it in that salt that solution of whatever that one is and it will form a crystal around your pipe cleaner oh that's cool so then you can just have whatever shape you want be a little crystal decoration It's kind of cute. So when you said that about salt, it made me think, I wonder if that's how they make those Himalayan salt lamps. Hmm. Like how, you know? I feel like those, I could be wrong, but I feel like those are almost like, that's how they are mined. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's like a, it's not a geode, but like. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. Because you get salt out of. Uh Uh-huh. Places. Places. <laughs> salt mines. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Salt mines, yeah. Yeah, hmm. yeah. So I think that's how those are done, but there's so many, like like I said, you've got so many crystal kits and stuff like that that show up. A lot of the time, that's probably what they are, are things like Epsom salts and mm-hmm. things like that, because they, they will... Um, 
more readily form back into a larger crystal. Hmm. I just thought that was cool. Yeah, that is neat. Just a couple little interesting experiments. I love that. Mm-hmm. Facts from the Stacks will be right back. We all know that libraries have books. And most of us know that libraries have had movies since VHS tapes were still a thing. But did you know the library has so much more? Want to make pasta but don't want to buy a pasta machine? Need a drill to make some very important home repairs? What about a new board game that isn't Monopoly so you can play games with friends and family without hating them? Yeah, we have that too. Check one out. So next time you visit the library, be sure to check out our library of things to find your thing. Okay, and so and the other thing I looked into on the Tennessee Electronic Library oh, using lovely. my scientific resources. Absolutely. This was an article from World Economic Forum, and it's about generative AI in science experiments. And it was from October of 2023. So just oh. recent information about like how can AI be used in science experiments? And um, at the end, they talk about some of the problems with it, but the main points were like how this can help. So the first kind of chunk was it can help with designing experiments by generating hypotheses from existing literature, which makes sense because like that's what AI does. It pulls from everything out there. And so it can pull some wrong information. Right. And so that can become a an incorrect hypothesis for a student to test. Yeah. Or, yeah. Okay. Um, and then similarly, it can isolate causal relationships. So like looking at literature that's out there, it could, you know, make those connections. And then also transforming plain English into different coding languages so that you can deploy experiments across different settings. Interesting. Which I thought was interesting. And then the second kind of chunk was about, you know, conducting the experiment itself. So AI could monitor an experiment by being available for participant questions, um, detecting participant engagement, and also detecting like cheating or erroneous answers. Um, So sort of, you know, just instead of using manpower, having it be the person the thing that like monitors all the actual human participants in an experiment interesting um and then after the fact it could be used for automated data collection um which could reduce experimenter bias so instead of the experimenters and researchers collecting the data and then also the demand effect which it talked about being um you know, participants feel like they have to give an answer instead of just giving something naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, it could eliminate that because they would just be doing their thing and AI would be collecting the data behind the scenes kind Interesting. of. And then the third section was about how natural language processors, is that right? Yeah. Can yield insight from participant logs on their behavior, cognitive processes, etc. So because AI, like can understand natural language they could you know detect patterns about what people were thinking about you know what their choices were depending on the experiment yeah i mean it can go through participant response so much faster right than a human can and, and notice pick up patterns, those patterns patterns yeah. yeah um and then it could handle along those lines it could handle the bulk of the data processing while researchers are focusing on the more substantive tasks wow which makes sense yeah. Um, and then at the end, it kind of discussed some of the problems, which are the similar problems I've seen in general of, with articles about AI. Like, I read a lot about 
how AI can be used for marketing and these same problems are discussed. So the inherent risk of bias in their training data and algorithms. So whoever made the AI program is not unbiased. Right. And so whatever they trained the program to To do or perceive, yeah, is obviously inherently biased. Hmm. And then, um, Another big concern with AI is the privacy concerns. And so in this case, especially regarding participants' information. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then um, as language learning models become more capable of persuasive text, there's now that risk of deception and the spread of misinformation. Interesting. So kind of what you were talking about at the beginning, like, you know, AI is able to speak and say and write, you know, so as they get more skilled at writing in persuasive language right they can then you know make deceive or spread information that's not true yeah that's true wow but yeah it's really interesting because i had never thought about you know that specific context of how can we use ai in literal science experiments i haven't either and i mean there's so many i guess with the use of ai in things like experiments that require a participant group mm-hmm. You can then conduct experiments with a bigger sample size. Yeah, definitely. You can have more participants because you can manage them easier. Yeah, I feel like that makes sense. Yeah. That's very interesting. Mm -hmm. So there's our intellectual section. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) All right. And then my last little section, um, I just wanted to take a couple of things that we used to believe were scientifically proven theories, um, but that we disproved over the course of time. I'm excited. There's just a couple. um, There's a few more that we could talk about, but the first one is the concept of miasma. Are you familiar with miasma? I recognize that word, but I don't remember the definition. So now we use the word miasma. Usually... And this might just be my, like, nerd fantasy world brain talking. (laughs) Usually a miasma is used to describe, like, a thick, like, poisonous fog Mm. in a fantasy setting. That's usually how we use it now. Okay. But um, many years ago, (laughs) um, starting around the 4th century B.C., um, Miasma was bad air Ah. that carried diseases. Oh, okay. And so people believed that when you got sick, it was because you lived in a place that had miasma, which was air that had been contaminated by rotting matter. So Ah. like London in the, you know, 1800s. Right, with sewage in the streets. Correct. Okay. It was miasma. It was full of, you know, it was bad because there was so much rot and so much, you know, that's what did it. But um, around the late 1800s is when we stopped believing that one so much okay. because we started to have the research of Louis Pasteur. Mm. Um, and so germ theory was popularized. Uh, and it was like, Oh, it's not bad air. It's just, it's bacteria. Isn't that funny though? Because I distinctly remember the period during COVID where people were like, can you get it from the air? Yeah. Yeah. Like the, and that was, you know, yeah. recently. <laughs> yeah. But I guess it's the concept of like, not, like, you don't realize that 
it's because the germs are in the air. Right. And it's just someone died in this area. There's a body that's in this area or was in this area. It's bad air. Yeah. Like. But that's not true. No. You would have to like go touch the dead body, right? right. Or like breathe in very close to Correct. it. Correct. Or in the yeah. case of COVID, like breathe in six Spittle. feet of sneeze. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was one that we disproved thanks to learning about bacteria and germs. Wonderful. Um, the other one is the classical elements. Before we had the chemical table of elements. Okay. Um, all things are made up of oh. earth, water, air, fire, and yes. ether. At okay. later time, people thought it was ether as well. And that's like, what is ether? So <laughs> it's that's not kind air. of it, it's it's kind of its own thing. Um, it's. <laughs> In my head, anyway, I kind of think of it like miasma, but okay. not bad. Okay. Like it's so it's forms just, of air that aren't oxygen. Yeah. Okay. Just, just yeah, it's a weird one. Yeah. But that dates all the way back to um, Hippocrates, mm. who described the human body as having a balance of those four elements, mm. and so yellow bile that we make for stomach acid and things like that was fire. Mm. Black bile, which I don't know what makes black bile. Is that like um, feces? Could be. Okay. Yeah, maybe it is actually. <laughs> is earth. Ah, uh, that, well. Uh, yeah. Blood was air and phlegm was water. And medical practice in those ancient times was resolved by restoring the natural balance of your chemical, your, your oh, elements. Interesting. So instead of thinking, you know, gold and lead and carbon and hydrogen and all that, it was just those four elements. Oh, wow. <laughs> so that's what everything was made of. That's interesting. So obviously we know better now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those are, um, those are just a couple of, Things that we don't believe anymore. There's so, so many more that have been disproved. Mostly just things from really ancient Greece. They were so involved in the sciences Mm -hmm. and were so not correct. Yeah. (laughs) About many things. Yeah. That makes me think even more recently, though, like even just within the span of a lifetime, like to me, that reminds me of like diet and nutrition. Oh, that's true. Like, you know, two years ago, something that was like, this is what is good for you. And this is what is bad for you. That changes all the time. It does. And And it's these theoretically, it's all based in science. Right. But it really like, you can find information on both sides for everything. Yes. (laughs) And it's because I don't remember what episode it was, but we had this conversation about misrepresenting like how data is presented. Like if you can, if you can change the wording, you can make the data represent whatever you want it to represent. Exactly. Exactly. I can't remember what episode that was, but we kind of talked about that. No, I totally remember that that now. Like that reminds me of, you know, again, going back to nutrition, like food labels, you know, like on a bag of gummy bears, it'll say like vegan and fat free, which are supposed right. to be good things. But like, yeah, duh. Like there's, right. you know, that's just not what that it's food not is. What it's in. <laughs> um, one of my favorites is, oh my God. Hold on. What is it? It's gluten free 
gluten-free like sandwich wraps have Uh, you seen that and it's like so it's a wrap but it's cheese it's just oh yes you're like duh it's gluten-free yeah exactly like it's got no on there what do you mean yeah like those really get me or keto when things are like oh it's keto friendly and it's like yeah because it's naturally like one of the food groups or like it's a slab (laughs) of meat yeah Yeah. it's keto like are you kidding me (laughs) yes it's so funny yeah but things like that totally easily easy to manipulate yeah true Our final facts and quiz segment will be right after this break. If you've ever wanted to learn a new language, but you've never found a group to learn with, the library may be the place to go. Every Tuesday at 11, you can learn American Sign Language with an interpreter from the Jackson Center for Independent Living. Whether you know tons of signs, just your alphabet, or none at all, come learn about how awesome ASL is with us. That was a fun episode. Yeah. We still got the quiz, though. We got a quiz. So I went through and I just did a, like, general science trivia. Love it. Um, Some of these are a little difficult. We'll see. We'll see. Um, So question number one. What is the most abundant element in the universe? Oh, I feel like I know this. Mm Mm-hmm. But I don't remember it in the universe. Mm-hmm. Is it hydrogen? It is hydrogen. <gasps> Yay, me. She's a STEM girl. <laughs> Woman in STEM. <laughs> Woman in STEM. <laughs> um, yeah, it is hydrogen. Um, what is the hardest natural substance on Earth? Is it diamonds? It is diamonds. Oh my gosh. Yep. Sure is. This one I had no idea. At what temperature are Celsius and Fahrenheit equal? There's one oh. temperature in which the, the reading is the same. I don't know. Negative 40. Negative 40. Yeah. Apparently, that is just where the scales line up. That's so interesting. Mm -hmm. Dolly was the first ever animal to be cloned. What animal was she? A sheep. She was a sheep. Uh, Question number five. What are the four states of matter? Uh, Liquid, solid, gas. We didn't talk about this last one as much when I was in high school. Yeah. It was mentioned... But not talked about as much. I don't know. Plasma. Plasma. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I feel like we listed it, but like they really, when I was in school, I remember it being like really like hit home to like, these are the three yeah. main ones. Yeah. But then there's this one on the side that we... In my mind, I was like, the fourth one must be something like between a liquid and a solid, like a gel. And it is. Which yeah. that Plasma. makes sense. But I feel like maybe part of that is because we have, you know, we have maybe the ability to um, to create that or to I was going to say there's so many now. like man-made compounds these days. Yeah. And I feel like maybe just now we have more reliable ways to 
observe or produce plasma, True. maybe. But, and then the last one is just a bonus question for mm -hmm. funsies. What is the powerhouse of the cell? The mitochondria. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I had a fantastic middle school science teacher. Shout out to Mrs. Spangler, because I remember learning about the cell vividly to this day. That woman could teach. Yeah. So shout I out. I very specifically <laughs> have distinct memories of animal cells. Mm. Like I can see, I can almost see the whole model in my I know, head. I feel like I could do a decent job of like, you know how you have to like draw a cell and yeah. label all the parts? I feel like I could do okay at that now still. And I was in seventh grade a long time ago. Yeah, I also kind of <laughs> feel like I could do that. Yeah. Maybe I'll have to quiz myself and see. We love that. Yeah. Mm. But that's our quiz. We did a great job. Thank you so much. I'm surprised because I'm not usually a woman in STEM, more of a English kind of girl. <laughs> Super fair. I also <laughs> tend to be the same. Yeah. But I love science, but I had this conversation with my partner. I'm I'm a I'm like a biology person. Mm. I love biology. And like Chemistry and stuff was fine, but like when we start getting into math and formulas and yeah, stuff, no. you lose me. Oh my gosh, chemistry is still traumatic for me to think about. My chemistry class in high school was so hard. Yeah. <laughs> like biology, I can deal with that. Yeah. Especially now, like I love to learn things and specifically things that like affect my living. So yeah, yeah biology stuff, super interesting. Very relevant. All right, so that is it for episode 20. Um, we will see you again in two weeks for episode 21 about manufacturing technology, Dewey number 670, a.k.a. how it's made. How it's made. If you've watched all 20, not watched, if you've listened to all 20 episodes, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, oh my we gosh. We appreciate you. Yeah, we're like coming up on a year of doing this. Yeah. Wow. That's cute. And we've only missed like a couple of weeks. Yeah. We're due podcasters. to illness. Yeah, illness. Unforeseen circumstances. Mm -hmm. Wow. All right. Well, um, as per usual, send us any yes. comments, questions. Um, if you have interesting science experiments that you wanted to try and didn't work out somehow, let us know. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we'd love to hear from you. All we, right. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye.